This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, Charles. Hello, hello. My question for you today is one of the most serious importance uh, mm-hmm. pertaining to the subject matter we are going to tackle today. My question today is, Charles, how do you feel about superheroes sporting prominent mustaches and uh, which mainstream hero would you think looks best if they were to add one to their look? Mm, okay. So first tell me you love mustaches. Need to hear that first. I love all facial hair, to be honest with you. Fantastic. Um, you know, uh, mustaches. Uh, great. Great. If you've got a face for it. Um, work it, you know, do, 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 do what you need. Who needs a mustache? Um, honestly, I'll say this. I don't like it when Superman has a mustache. Everybody freaked out about Henry Cavill when Superman has a mustache, right? And you have to understand Superman is a character like basic costumes. That means he's evil. So no, (laughs) so no, um, I will say I am a fan of when Aquaman has like not a full, not a full goatee, but just a mustache. Very rare, but it's very like Arthur. Did you? Hmm. Did you shave with the trident? I'm gonna today? have to Google this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might just be fan art, but like, I, I, I'm a fan. Okay, I'll Google that later. We'll, let's let's move on to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliamore, writer for io9. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Roosteed Productions. Today, we're talking about Amazon's new animated series based on the image comic of the same name, Invincible. Even though live action adaptations of comic books have become a huge part of the current entertainment space, Invincible is trying to establish itself as part of the pantheon of animated series that have brought classic comic stories to life for mature audiences. We're going to discuss where Invincible fits into that pantheon, but first we're rolling into cannon fodder, our quick breakdown of an interesting news story that caught our attention this week. Is Fast and the Furious interesting? I, so, so here's the thing. I <laughs> <laughs> I hear from many people who I trust and love that Fast and Furious is coming back and it's a big deal, right? And I'm being wholly facetious here. I fully understand that Fast, the Fast and the Furious franchise is, you know, it's not just about cars. It's not just about family, right? It is. It's about Corona beer. There you go. There you go. It's this event spectacle that has been with us for, goodness, I'm not even sure how many years at this point. And as someone who was very late to the Fast and Furious hype and someone who is still only kind of I only get like a slight bit of contact buzz from like people who are really into it. I still don't really get what's exciting about cars. I'm like, bro, like none of you are wearing seatbelts. You're all going to die. But (laughs) this new but I will say this new trailer, um, this new trailer uh, is taking the heroes to new heights, literally and uh, metaphorically um, at a time when the franchise has you know, it's always been ridiculous, but the pre the past few films have been increasingly more, you know, super heroic. Yeah. First, it's been around for 20 years. Oh, my, oh my God. Oh, my God. 20 years. <laughs> um, and uh, second, while I will forever poke fun at this series, as I did at the top of this, um, I also will stand and applaud at how this series found its niche, its voice, mm. its flavor and has been serving that with with absolute like pristine accuracy to yeah, its audience yeah. for years now and that has to be applauded no matter you no matter if you like this style of movie or not that i honestly like i can't deny that because when you say fast and furious i it's interesting when you tell me which specific fast and furious movie you're talking about 
I can kind of tell what energy the movie has just based on the sort of way that it exists in your mind because they've been around for so long and you see the commercials. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that you can confidently say that the Fast and Furious franchise has always been true to itself at the same time that it was like intensifying and sort of evolving in a way that you see with a lot of these big multi-million yeah. dollar franchises. But the evolution tends to come kind of haphazardly and not always work. Obviously, like... Tokyo Drift is kind of, you know, like um, uh, a sore point with some people who, you know, like, where's Han? Like, what's going on? And like, obviously, this, you know, this, these more recent films are trying to address that. But I think by and large, you know, the studio has just been like, oh, no, no, no. Like, the kids like this. Let's do more of that. And they've given the actors um, who are part of the franchise, you know, the space to own these characters in a way that makes it like, listen, I don't know what Letty's deal is. Um, Michelle Rodriguez's character. I know for a fact that, like, Michelle Rodriguez showed up and is like, all right, let's go. You know what I mean? Like she knows, like she knows who Letty is and is so ready to bring whatever new ridiculous quarter of her life this is to the screen, like with just like flawless perfection. The franchise is not too dissimilar from Mission Impossible mm. in that the the most latest iterations of the series and the most successful iterations of the series mm -hmm. are quite different from like the first few attempts at it. And yeah. that the those franchises kind of like found their niche and have really just kind of uh, returned to that each time. You know, we had Mission Impossible One, and the Mission Impossible Two was like was like the Tokyo Drift of the Mission Impossible series. It was mm -hmm. it was as a change from anything previously to it. And then the movies after it have been quite different, even from Mission Impossible Two. And so it's it's just kind of like it's those franchises that are uh you know easy entertainment like enjoyable uh entertainment to buy into that doesn't require too much from the audience to to you know have a stake in it um and you know they invest big budget in these films and it shows in the production value and in the 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 splendor of the whole thing and then in the return they get their their returns <laughs> you yeah. know they keep making money so they keep making them and I feel like it's one of the instances where the things that the fans have asked for, the franchise has given them. And I think that yes. part of that is like can be attributed to the fact that I don't want to say that the demands that Fast and the Furious fans have made are simpler. But like what what happens with like comic book fans for comparison, there are so many people asking for so many things based on the source material and their own mm. feelings. You know what I mean? That there's no way realistically that. Warner Brothers or Disney could fashion any of these films that would just make audiences happy. The best that they can go yep. for is, you know, not, I don't want to say lowest common denominator, widest net that you can cast, right? Like, there let's just like, let's hope that everybody has a good time with something like Endgame, for example. Yep. Whereas like, I feel as if with the Fast and the Furious, they were like, okay, faster, more furious, <laughs> um, more cars, okay, okay, more nitrous. And now, you know, more recently it was like, but what about space? And the trailer is like, mm-hmm space you say i see i see yeah yeah yeah. we, we can do space um it's gonna be a little a little slip shot at first you know rockets on the back of a car listen i get it like that's that's fast and furious right it's ridiculous but that is so in line with this franchise watching I, that in the trailer i'm like bro those are gonna fly right off the car y'all like, <laughs> people are going I, to die accidentally i would do an episode on fast and furious just to have the conversation about what happens when you run out of dots on the dial to keep turning it up to <laughs> it just turns like, into an infinity <laughs> that's what i mean it's like it's like you're, you're like where there's only so many like numbers on this volume dial and and space has to be pretty high up there like it has to be at near the top like what happens when you run out of 
runway. And I say that about a show where they had a scene where a runway literally had to have been miles long for that um, action scene to have taken place. Um, but we can talk more about Fast and I think Furious we're gonna later. Have to. Yeah. Let's talk about something that's a little more grounded in reality. Let's talk about <laughs> Invincible. Okay, so Invincible is Amazon's newest comic book show for adults. Uh, you can't help but you know associate it with a, a lot of similar themes to the boys, um, and also just our general fascination lately about like what if like superhero movies were bloody and had swear words and that kind of thing. In the show right now we're recording on Friday uh, the sixteenth, so the sixth episode has come out. So we got two more episodes till the season's over. So this is just kind of us coming in and talking a little bit about this series because it's based off of a comic book that's been around for a while since 2003 um but it just now with how you know uh you know projects like this go it's just now finally finding its way into another medium either animated or live action and you know a new audience is seeing it that didn't you know read the original image comic from robert kirkman um and it's getting mixed reviews but talk to me charles about when you first heard about this project and what were your thoughts when like you saw the trailer when it when it was first kind of being premiered like were you excited were you meh so i mean like there i everybody has their you know the gaps in their you know in their pop cultural repertoire and invincible was one of those things that i just happened to miss it's an easy one to have missed yeah and if like if i picked up a slightly different book in the borders perhaps i would be a different person today who would be you know super jazzed about this um but like everybody else i saw the ads for it you know they are plentiful um there's a lot of there's a lot of print ads here and like um ads on the street for it um it's mm -hmm. like okay yeah invincible's coming and I, goodness, it's coming late into the current wave of superhero content, right? Not just with, you know, modern superhero movies and shows, but specifically these movies and shows that are debuting on these streaming platforms. That's cool. Um, and in preparation for it, I kind of went back and finally did, you know, the reading on what everybody was so gung-ho about. Because even though I missed the Invincible hype, I know so many people who love this. Um, Invincible is a comic it's an image comic a lot like saga that people i feel like when it's one of those things you hear people talking about and like when fans find each other they like vibrate at a different frequency and it's like <laughs> another one of my people you're not wrong you know what I mean? but like in a good way right because it's like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a a shared love for the thing and i've always like i respect it sure 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 you love it um going back and reading the comic though i can see what kirkman and his co-creator artist cory walker were going for right it is a modern day golden age comic book yeah. um, about a boy who is the son of a Superman-like character who grows up knowing that his father is the strongest man on the planet and someone who is a frequent associate of the planet's team of superheroes, you know, a motley crew of um, atom manipulators, a robot, an alien, a fish person. You know, it's very mm -hmm. much, you know, it's very much in the DC vein of storytelling. That's something else that's important to point out about Invincible. Invincible, goodness, there are a hundred plus issues of the series, right? Um, yeah. Which, you know, that's nothing for a legacy comic, but for a comic that, you know, technically debuted in 2003, the main character, Invincible, first appeared in Savage Dragon in 2002, that's a lot of comics, right? And so it's like, goodness, there's so, I see I see that, you know, there's a passionate fandom and there's a lot for people to have dug into. Yeah, it's definitely a title that, for how much it was able to accomplish in, in a non-Marvel and DC uh, title, even though it's it's accomplished as much as it did, it definitely doesn't have, like, the, like, no one knew 
what Invincible was who didn't read the comic. Like, even people who don't read Spider-Man know who Spider-Man is, even before the movie, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, But Invincible, like, to give, like, context, like, was the beginning of Image Comics really doing superhero comics. And not the beginning, but it was one of, like, the, the the real big wins and and actually turned into like a whole extended universe like there's there's branch off comics from invincible of like all these characters like coming and making their own uh titles and everything so in, invincible's big while you and i are going to disagree with some of our our takes <laughs> on this this uh show um i will agree that it feels it definitely feels late to the game and and lacking probably the punch it could have had hmm. if it had been presented in this format, you know, before we had a lot of these other adaptations like The Boys or even Watchmen where we like we got enough superhero content that, that people felt comfortable showing like dark, mature superhero content that's definitely made for only adults because mm-hmm. now we don't have to worry about only making superhero content that's like for the broad audience. Like right. we can make it for a niche audience. Um, while I like that and that that's fun to have and, you know, obviously I'm still just hanging out at home during a Panera and uh so i have plenty of you know time and need to have some cool stuff to watch it does feel late and that and that has to affect the viewing of it mm. so like I, I you bringing up watchmen um i think that's a really important point right like so we are um we are the people lucky enough to have experienced a lot of live action watchmen in our lifetimes right we've got the Zack snyder film and we've got the more recent hbo series um both of which are offshoots um of a comic book from the 80s and i bring all of this up to say that you know, dark comic book stories were not new when Invincible came out, nor were comic books in which, you know, um, or honestly, any kind of fictional story about a young person who looks up to their parent, discovering that their parent is not what they seem to be. Um, That's not to say that putting it in the, like in the comic book format couldn't have worked. And obviously it did. Right. But back in 2002, a lot of the things that we call collectively grimdark they were not appearing in the soup, you know, in the the superhero adaptations that did not really exist like that at the time, right? Like we, this is still, you know, the Raimi Spider-Man era. Um, we're still talking like Brian Singer X-Men, which are visually dark, sure, but they are still trying to skew. You know, they're in that uncanny valley of like we're real, but we're dressed in leather, and we all still kind of do silly superhero things that don't make sense for a world where real people live. You know, it, whereas. Um, the comic was trying to do something very like, all right, yeah, like what if Superman was your dad and he was a murderer, right? I think there was there were some elements of that that really did make Invincible, even in 2003, not being the first one to the game, still stand out. I think that the way that it was brought together definitely packed a punch. I think it definitely worked. And I can feel, I can see the momentum that the series pulled up um, for itself in those first few arcs that are told really deftly, um, yeah. those first dozen couple of arcs. But what, you know, as we shift from the comic to the show, what I was really surprised about watching, you know, I'd done my, I had done what I thought was quite a bit of exhaustive research to prep for the show, right? You think to yourself, oh, I'm not really sure how many arcs they'll blow through, particularly with a property that even though it's been successful in comic circles, a couple of years ago, you go, you know, walk down the street. Do you know who the superhero Invincible is? And everyone's like, isn't that that movie with Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis? And it's like, no, <laughs> not really. But good, you know, but that that would have been a logical response. Um, but watching the show, right, it's like, damn, the show is moving. Like, they are blowing through the plot. And not just blowing through it, like, reshaping it, right? And so I, I remember we were talking earlier, and in my... 
like the time in between since I read the comic and like watched the show, enough time had passed that I really had sort of lost sight of how much the show changes in terms of when things happen, what characters yeah. have which sort of interactions, which characters have been race bent, for example, for example, what yeah. things people know. There's a lot that's different, but in that difference, it does feel like it is really just like fast tracking through a lot of developmental um, aspects of Mark's story as he really stops just calling himself invincible and becomes invincible as a as a hero. Yeah. First off, if you caught people on the street, 2000 whatever, and ask them about invincible, they're obviously going to talk about the Mark Wahlberg football movie. Okay, that's what we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't even know if that even lands with anybody right now. Second, uh, yeah, yeah, they they definitely have made some changes to the show uh, from the source material, and and especially now, like getting into the sixth episode. Um, even the most, the final scene in the sixth episode, um, with a bit of, of like a direct confrontation between Omni-Man and his wife, um, that that's way later in the comics. That doesn't happen also in the comics. Don't they, Um, they do, they do eventually talk about, you know, they don't have the, I found your secret thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause like the, the way that Omni-Man is revealed to his family to be this, you know, bad guy. He tells Mark, uh, doesn't he? Huh? Doesn't he tell Mark? It's when when he he, he when he murders the in the, the 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 immortal man. Immortal man yeah. comes back mm-hmm. and and he kills him in front of Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And then he perf- confesses this whole Viltrumites thing, and that is uh, televised to the world. <laughs> um. And that's how his wife finds out is that she's watching TV. Right. Whereas here, it's more sort of I suspect something's going on. Yeah. I like that change for two reasons and I'm okay with adaptation. Adaptation needs to happen. You need to make things work for the different medium. And mm-hmm. I think what they recognized was one Omni-Man and you know, the, the voice uh, acting of JK Simmons, they wanted that, that to be around for a longer stint than just, you know, quickly getting to the point where the comic gets to the point where it's the invincible story. Right. It's the, right, it's, right. You know, and it's the Mark story and Omni-Man's gone for like a long time. And they, 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 I think they wanted Omni-Man to be around longer and to have more of the interaction with his son. Mm-hmm. And then they also, like, they made Sandra O's oh character, his mom, um, wait, Sandra O? Oh? It's Sandra O, oh, yeah. Sandra O. Oh. Um, they made uh, mom a stronger, more independent, less fragile character than she is in the comics. She kind of, like, is written pretty... Uh, She's written really flat the way that a lot of the comics uh, female characters are. There's, correct. You know, once like once everything in the family situation starts to fall apart in the comics, I think Marie is her name, um, she kind of descends into drinking a lot heavier. Yeah. Um, something that you do see sort of foreshadowed here, right? You see her yeah, yeah, yeah. with that wine glass that she is allowed to have because she is a fancy realtor and she's very good at her job. Um, but... <laughs> In this, you know, with this different story, right, I think it reads much more like this thing that I've always sort of kind of feared about my husband just because of his difference and the, you know, yeah. the, the the position that he exists in society. I always felt that something was going to something was going to break us apart. And this is the worst possible thing. And the way that she's navigating it, I will say as many as many obvious analogs as there are. What if Hellboy was a detective who dressed kind of <laughs> like Etrigan and he met up with the wife and they were like, I know about your husband. That kind of shit I love. Right. Yeah. That, that kind of world building. I I love the idea that there's just a demon detective who freaks everybody out but I feel like in in sort of really even though the plot involving um, the build-up to the Viltrumite war is um, 
happening faster, I still feel that, um, or rather, more time is being given for Omni-Man to spend with his family. I kind of just want to know more about the world, right? I yeah. still feel that, like, I haven't spent enough time with, like, normal person Mark as a person who grew up around not just his family, but, like, in this world where the yeah. teen team is a thing. You know, Interesting. where the lizard, whether the lizard squad, whatever they are. It's just sort of, you are thrown so headfirst into this, which I think is an intentional thing, right? Obviously, it's yeah. a part of the story, but it's something that the series kind of wants to do uh, to make you feel like you're a part of it. I think that's also where the the really bad timing for the title card comes from. I, yeah. In rewatching the episode, uh, I've rewatched a bunch of them um, before we sat down to record, and I think they all have that bad timing, except for the one that's like the Luke Cage knockoff, where... Normally, what ends up happening is someone is in the active process of saying invincible and they cut them off to say it. And I think that there's a, a more elegant way to cut them off. But this one, there's no cutoff at all. And it's, the timing is perfect. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, I do want more of this, especially with the way that Amazon's putting it out. If you're trying to go for that, you know, that OG Justice League um, cartoon feel, I, I feel a yeah. lot of that in the production of this show, particularly in the way that. Something that I, I kind of, I used to not like, but actually find quite comforting now is the, how quiet a lot of WB Animation's productions feel. Um, for, you can hear that they're in a sound booth, and you know, even when people are like outside and supposed to be fighting and stuff, you can feel sure. a lot of that in Invincible. Um, and it just made me think to myself like, oh, like Mark, I want to see you interacting with other street level criminals and other heroes who might not necessarily be a part of a team quite yet. I get that for, you know, a first season and timing wise, that wasn't necessarily in the cards, but goodness, we're fast tracking to a big con, like so many big conflicts, not just the, not just the hostility, um, between Mark and Invincible, but I feel like either last episode or an episode before that, you saw a little glimmer in Robot's eye, and there's been mm -hmm. a lot more sort of suggestions that his motives may not be wholly, you know, wholesome. And that is from, you know, that you know, people who have read the comics know that, you know, there's more in store for Robot much down the line. And it's like, well, all right, you guys, how far into the, you know, the Invincible canon is the show digging to really sort of front load you with stories right at the top? Yeah, I think I th they're probably taking a little bit Again, to bring back the topic of adaptation, mm. they're, I'm thankful from a person who knows the source material that they're not 100% just cookie-cuttering it to the comic. It, it creates a, a new experience for me to be able to, to watch, just similar to like, you know, like watching Captain America Civil War. That is not the Civil War comic. So I got to experience something new that had same of the same themes and everything, but it was a, it was a new piece of entertainment. And so while Invincible follows the source material semi-closely, they definitely are it's doing its own thing yeah they're messing with timelines like cecil doesn't even like get introduced to i think mark until dad leaves and so the fact that cecil's been he's just around he is around a lot he's just like i'm in your house i teleported here and it's like okay dude well all right yeah and, and so i i i actually was prepared to not like this show at all i think it had a bad trailer mm. and <laughs> Uh, which can do a lot apparently for your interest because I liked this comic when, reading it when it came out like years and years ago saying it's uh, from 2003 is making me realize I think I probably read it not too far after it came out <laughs> um, and uh, but I but by the time we got to now 
I, I think a mixture of it being so long and also being served quite a few other options for, you know, superhero content that mm. we now have reached a point where like, you know, you can just kind of be like meh about some of the stuff. Whereas back in the day, no matter what it was, you were like, well, I, like, I have to be, ex- it, yeah. yeah, I have to get excited about it. Um, no matter what, uh, I, I was prepped to not really care for. It. In fact, I didn't really watch the first few episodes that I did. It wasn't until a few of my friends who I don't think were previous fans of the comic, like readers, um, kind of, you know, told me that it was, it was good or decent or however they wanted to express their positivity about it, checked in and, and I was pleasantly surprised personally by how much it was enjoyable. I think a lot of it is carried by a fantastic voice cast. Mm. Um, they stacked the show with a lot of people. Uh, I'm blanking right now on on Mark's. Like Stephen Yoon is, uh, he's Mark's voice and he's tremendous. I brought up how quiet the show sounds at times because it really does highlight how much acting Steven Yeun is doing, especially in those moments where watching this, I was like, oh, right, the the Viltrumites, they're Saiyans. You know what I mean? They're fighting people. They get really angry. They get stronger every now and then. Sure, sure, sure. But in those moments where he sort of goes into his berserker rage, Steven Yeun is in that booth like, oh, like, let's go for it, you know? And I, so I think the most moving, I think the most moving acting in the show so far has been in those moments um, between Mark and his mom and Sandra Oh, even though she is a supporting character who is kind of in that, um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf's face, like, is my husband evil? Like she is, you know, still commanding it. Right. And she is like, listen, like I'm a woman in this situation and I have to figure out what the fuck is going on. She had a great scene with Omni-Man where he was trying to argue that, you know, he knew what was best for Mark, but then she like, she answered back and was like you know tell him about how when he came to earth he didn't know anything about humans and she's the one who taught him how to be a hero and talking about like like she stood her ground and i love that performance by sandra it was a good it was definitely not the comic character it was it was her making a new character of her own based off of their uh new take of it and yeah sandra's doing you know she's she's running laps around people yeah and what was so great about that exchange is you once by the end of the episode you have to assume that um god what is his name Dalton? He has some ridiculous name. His, um, his, uh, which character? Uh, Omni Man. What's his human first name? <sighs> Nolan? Uh, no, Nolan. Yeah, Nolan. 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 You have to assume that he was like playing her. You know what I mean? Like he was playing her for a fool. But regardless yeah. of that, she is like steadfast in her conviction. She's like, no, 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 no. Like our son, our son is half human. And she, I love that she, Rewatching the first couple of episodes, the first sign that she has that something is off is how much he starts, um, how much Nolan starts talking about his home planet again. And she's like, excuse me, sir, we've been married for X amount of years and you've never talked about your people to me. And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't tell me you told me stories. And I'm like, yes, good, good, good. More of this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And 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 even the some of the supporting cast is is they obviously threw in. They got they got a lot of names in there of like Zachary Quinto being robot and I, I like his his delivery of that character because that's such an enigmatic character, um, but even like Zazzy Beats being uh, uh, the uh, Mark's girlfriend who he t- definitely screws up the relationship with like I like you know she's she's doing a great job of creating that whole side character, um, so the show I think is carried a lot by that I think it's carried by. Uh, you and I talked about this beforehand. Like, this show is obviously an animated show on a budget. Mm-hmm. You can tell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it didn't have all the money in the world, and it probably had to rush some stuff, um, or or do a lot of stuff like in quarantine. You know, as, right, as it right, is. Right, right, right. 
but I do like that there is there are these like tentpole moments in the in the episodes where you can tell where they're like, well, this is where the money's going to go for this episode, so we need you to make this an amazing moment. And and those moments I feel like shine. Like I I I got I I was down with the uh, the grungy uh you know red sequence of omni man going through that other dimensional city like and going just full conqueror like i was like ooh, i like this this is a good moment and that you could feel that was those moments like we are flexing right now please notice that we're flexing and it worked and i think that like you know the show's first season success is going to really dictate what the future looks like for it um my hope for the show, you know, I'm I'm really interested to see what it does with some of the big thematic ideas that it has, right? Like we've been talking about um, Stephen Yeun and Sandra Oh. Um, this is one of the few superhero stories um, to center like an Asian hero, right? Um, while the series does not explicitly reference the fact that Mark is of Asian descent through mm-hmm. his mother, it's something that you can infer, right? It's something that you can read into the character. And I think it's safe to do so. Um, but with that being the case, learning that your father comes from a place, um, a planet of white reading um, supremacists who colonize yeah. and destroy planets, how do you got to deal with that, right? Yeah. And I do think that that's something that, ne- that, you know, that Kirkman wasn't necessarily inclined to deal with. Um, reading, reading Invincible, there's a lot of it that is kind of sophomoric. There's a lot of sort of like on the ground kind of basic guy talk, um, which is, yes. you know, it's, 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 it was a book that was aimed at that audience. And I think that something that the creators of the animated series really understood, um, was that the show needed to be a little bit more sensitive and thoughtful about certain ideas. Um, mm. particularly, I think that people who have read the comics will know that, the burgeoning love triangle between Mark and Amber and Eve, um, voiced by Jillian Phillips, Jillian Jacobs, excuse me. Jillian Jacobs. Jillian Jacobs um, gets a little complicated and ends in a rather interesting way. And some of the things that end up happening between Mark and Eve are like suspect. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole sequence in which like, after he's lost his powers, he can't get it up anymore. And then when he does, after they have sex, and he's like, huzzah! And it's very sort of like, okay, dude, all right, all right. You're, <laughs> you got a boner, and now you're flying. Cute, 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 cute. I think, that, I think that Invincible knows that if it's going to get into that kind of territory, it can't just be like, oh, no, I can't do sex right now. Like, ooh, no, woe is me. Um, and to that same end, I think that when the confrontation... Um, when the confrontation between Mark and Omni Man does finally happen, um, something I, I, I don't I'm, I won't spoil what happens in the confrontation, but it's interesting, right? It's not just a I gotta fight you, Dad. You know, it does sort of try to um, go left and you expect it to go right. But I hope that in that confrontation, it's not just a big pretty fight sequence. It's like, yo, you murder people like Mom. You know what I mean? Like, it's not fair that not fair. It's not morally righteous at all that you can only see protecting us your family um you can only see fit to do that because of the direct connection we have to you that's not what heroism is yeah it it definitely will be interesting to see where they land with the last two episodes because they have shown at least some awareness of that need to uh i don't know uh wake up that that story a little bit um from being you know obviously the the original story by Robert Kirkman, I think you nailed it, was meant for that specific demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with things like Sandra O's character getting a lot more space to to breathe and talk and make herself known. So 
hopefully like that wasn't a uh a fluke and that was part of like several moments of intent that they they wrote into this adaptation yeah because i think we have to be putting those into stories yeah you have to be writing those in um because they're not going to be constantly there in the source material because of our history of not addressing those stories uh in 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 a common way like that wasn't the norm so if you know if we're going to be adapting these shows which is the norm like now it's like you got this entire back catalog of characters and ips that you can turn into animated series and you know live action features um while you're doing that you need to adapt it for the the time and audience that's there right now and i think invincible is a great opportunity i mean you even just pointed out that like it is one of the very rare instances where the main character you know is asian american and and has that story in it and considering what's going on in our history right now it's like well you guys decided to put this out now with this um and and you nail on the head like the vilchermites are literally just a bunch of white facing you know uh conquerors um I that's that's either something they're going to ignore or they might actually address in the last few episodes. I think like they're very different shows, but given that The Boys exists on the same network, I I think we can assume that Amazon is not inclined to be, you know, particularly shy about going in that no, direction. No, Boys season 2 was like, here's what we think about Nazis. You should be allowed to punch the shit out of them. And I think that, you know, as even I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, what would the reaction to um, Invincible doing that be? And it'd be like, oh, that's derivative of the boys. And that, you know, that I think that's a very that would be a very surface level criticism. But I think that something that I think both Invincible and the boys really did excellently was tap into the insidiousness of the paternal energy that like courses through Superman as an idea, right? It's like, mm. who is this all powerful father figure that we're looking mm. up to, to save the day at all times, right? What does it mean when an entire planet puts their faith in a single person who they believe is like righteous, right? Simply because he looks a certain way. You were trying to get me earlier because I said, and I'll admit it, right? Like, um, Omni-Man is hot, right? Like he's like he's li- <laughs> but like he's designed to be like your prototypical like salt and pepper like I'm a strong man like and I can protect yeah. you, right? Um I think that honestly like JK Simmons being cast is like a slight of like genius, a stroke of genius, excuse me. Um because like he does have that really deep sonorous voice, but and this is just me. I my first introduction to JK Simmons was Oz. Right. I was far too young to be watching the show. But it's wow. Like, <laughs> but no, but honestly, though. Right. And truly one of the most wild experiences of experiences of my life was seeing J.K. Simmons in other roles. Right. I was fully prepared to accept that actors act. But it was like, I don't know, man, you played that white supremacist in prison. I'm real good. Like, I don't you sitting here talking about you want pictures of Spider-Man. Right. I don't know. Right. Like, maybe you need to be back in the clink. Um, but I think that in casting J.K. Simmons as Omni-Man, um, Invincible is nodding at that, right? It's like, no, no, no. The fact that um, J.K. Simmons, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, the insurance guy, is this presence who exists in our minds as an entertainer, but one of his most famous performances <laughs> was playing a white supremacist. I think that's like, that's something to sit with, right? And yeah. I think that the show coming at it um, from this angle that is more heightened and... 
um, fancy free, um, all things considered, compared to the boys. Like the boys is like, all right, the government made super people and they dress up like silly costume people, but they're actually just regular assholes. Whereas here, you know, you've got Monster Girl and robots like I had to send a drone to an enchanted forest that messed my drone up, but I got this flower for you. And so, you know, it's a it's a different kind of tone and not necessarily the kind of tone that you would expect to be. Um, present in a story that's like and what about imperialism you know, you know what i mean yeah I, I i wrote it down in our notes of like the difference between like the boys and the invincible even the the source material included is that uh, the boys is a very nihilistic view on things mm, um, yeah yeah in that uh basically everybody is an asshole according to the boys like everybody is everybody will get to a point where they are going to be only concerned for themselves like there is a survival instinct you know a switch in all of us mm-hmm. and and everyone you know even though we can have moments of altruism and and um goodness deep down everyone is an asshole and and they go to the fullest extent of like you know the godlike man that we all put our faith into is the biggest asshole of them all mm-hmm. like that's that's the the message of that's one of the messages of the boys where invincible follows that a lot it's like like you know we put our faith into these these deity like individuals um, and it turns out if you put your faith in a single person, that could end badly for you. We're all learning that in the, in the current world. Mm-hmm. Um, but Invincible has a bit more of a, has more hope in humanity. Um, and even like has uh, the char- a lot of characters that really are trying to do what's best for, you know, the, the, the greater good of it all. But even in a... Um, a faithful way like you've got eve who's definitely trying to find herself and just do you know good things for the earth you even got cecil who even though he goes through he does it through some less than uh black and white good ways of fixing problems he in the end cecil you know you believe cecil really wants to protect you know the country the planet um humanity and he is a government figure you know so invincible kind of brings a little bit of that other side of the coin which i think is why it can live in a space where literally the boys lives next to it but i'm very curious how much of the adaptation they're going to change for the last two episodes to either take that you know bring that home or or are they going to change their tone sometime in the end i mean with black samson regaining his powers in this most recent episode um we are on the precipice of more people discovering that things are not what they seem um and that moment that you mentioned earlier in the episode um from the comics um where the immortal comes back um because haha surprise he's an immortal um and omni-man kills him i think that's definitely coming and i think omni-man 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 best digimon out there uh, (laughs) omni-man Omni-Man's, I think his exit is impending, right? I think that's sort of... Yeah, that's going to be the climax. Yeah, I think that sort of devastation, like, oh, shit, like, my father is even worse than I thought he was. What do I do? And then, you know, it's he leaves. I think it's... I think um, Omni-Man beats his ass pretty badly. Yeah, he he basically takes Invincible to the brink of, like, either, like, join me in this, you know, conquest that I'm set out to do, or I will kill you, but then he... And he chooses not to and then leaves. And I think that, you know, after all of these episodes of that obnoxious title card being like, I'm invincible, this, you know, the episode's going to be like, nah, dude, no. And, you know, from there, that I think is actually where my interest lies um, most strongly, because I think that that phase of Invincible's life where he is operating as a more or less established superhero out in the world, you know, really sort of um, working on teams, um, 
fully understanding what all is at stake with his actions. I think that's interesting because that, you know, gives you more of an opportunity to um, just see more of this world. Obviously, I forget what they're called. There's a name for them, but those nasty, not starro things on Mars that got that one man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's coming, you know, like, it's like, all right, listen, I get it. You, you got issues with your dad, but there's squids from space and you got to deal with it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I was actually prepared for you to be really dogging this show. Did you rewatch it and find nuggets that you liked about this? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it and I will say, I do still think that I do still think that a lot of the show is predictable, right? Um, I think, it is very predictable. I think that the things that it telegraphs, the way that it telegraphs them, um, takes away any sort of real suspense. And yeah. the enjoyment is more sort of just in seeing how things progress. Um, but, you know, yeah, going back and rewatching and seeing the things that had changed, it definitely softened me to the show. But I need a little bit more than... Wouldn't it be cool if you had, okay, we get it. We get it. You got the powers now. Um, <laughs> all of this, I guess, I guess what I, what I need in my modern superhero media is not grim darkness, but awareness, right? Um, mm. I think that's sort of the, un, I think that's the through line to a lot of my criticism these days, as we, as a public audience have become more well-versed in the language of superhero storytelling. I think that the usefulness of simple stories that harken back to the golden age lessons. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. when those kinds of stories try to take on complex, multi-layered ideas that are about our reality, like racism, right? Mm. That's one of the issues that I have with Falcon the Winter Soldier. It's trying to tell a very I don't I won't I won't tie it to a specific age, but a very like A, B, C, D story about racism. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. the audience that is primed to come and watch this is looking at the news, right? And really sort of, when we talk about like police reform, right? Abolish the police, structural racism. We are talking about these, goodness, almost unfathomable ideas, change involving which would really entail like <laughs> a level of like societal shift that is kind of hard to comprehend, right? And so when right. you're just like racism bad, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yes, 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 and correct, correct but I need more. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, th I think that's probably why you, you know, were a, I think, I think it's so funny you saying that grim and dark with, with, uh, awareness. That's the boys, especially season two. That's the HBO series Watchmen. Mm. That's why I feel like those grim and darks, um, have had the legs that they had you know yeah but like like angela abar angela abar isn't just like man it's hard being a black woman in america <laughs> right. right she's like you know what i'm a black woman in america and that's why i know this hood in your closet means something so let's talk about it you know right 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 um so i i i i like that as a describer for this uh this series yeah um i'm, I'm just i'm i'm surprised i'm surprised <laughs> i'm i'm, I'm but uh, it, it's it's good it's good it's good to have these conversations So we kind of did actually touch on this a little bit about how like, you know, our, our, we're quite obsessed with the golden age, you know, stories of comics mm -hmm. and there's a lot of predictability in this Invincible series. And so I'm curious if, if you, Charles, have um, like, what do the writers of these superhero comics need to do to deliver new stories that don't just rehash what's already been covered? Kind of like what you're saying about Falcon Winter Soldier, that ABCD, like what 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 is there left to explore that's going to excite you continually through this era where we have so much 
you know, uh, genre entertainment that, you know, we can get boring stuff more often than we want. Mm. I mean, the simple, the simple answer, right, is we need more people who have not been here before, right? So that's what pushes for diversity are all about. But more sort of like big picture, I don't think that the key or the goal should be to find news stories, right? I don't believe mm. in the adage that there are only two kinds of stories. Do not ask me what the other ones are. But I think, <laughs> I, think I, 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 don't, I don't really put all that much faith in that idea. But I also don't think that writers of color, marginalized writers need to press themselves into the ground looking to reinvent the wheel. I think that, you know, innovation in a space really does just come from different ways of thinking. Yeah. When I, when I, I joke about common sense a lot, but it's like some of the most enlivening sort of like refreshing stories in this kind of space, this superhero comic book space. It's when you see a character who's in a situation that reads as familiar, not necessarily because it's something you've been through, but because it's something that you've seen in comics. And suddenly the character reacts in a way that not necessarily that you would expect, but acts like someone who's like, yeah, you know what this person, this isn't their first rodeo. I think that's yeah. honestly what made Gwenpool such like, like uh, not it's just like, a revelation for a lot of people because it wasn't mm. just like breaking the fourth wall and talking to the reader. It was like, I am a comic book character and I accept it. And I'm going to try to use that to my benefit within this world. And it's going to be a part of my story, right? That is the beauty that comes with learning a language, the language here being of storytelling. Gwenpool was a comic that could not have existed if the fan base had not learned the lingo of comics, right? Had not learned the sort of mm -hmm. like narrative twists and tricks that are common in the medium. And so that when you wrap them all around this um, otaku fan white girl, um, it can become something fun and not just, you know, Gwenpool easily could have just been like a tired trotting out of references and memes and like, oh yeah. my God. But instead she's just like, yo, in this wild, like in this wild, shit that we all dream about that's happening to me is wild, right? I think it's, I'm gonna write about it. And it's, it's fun to see it. And I think that there is potential for that with a lot more characters, um, particularly ones that aren't as, I think superheroes are kind of hard to do that with sometimes, but with comic book characters, I feel like there's so much potential there for these, um, for creators to just honestly just speak in your own, like speaking in your own voice and using the knowledge that you have about the medium, that is an almost surefire way to keep your canon from getting like, you know, feeling like re like ground that's already been tread. Yeah. I think we, uh, we've stumbled into a new section of real canon where, uh, Charles gives everybody homework. So everyone go read Gwenpool. Do it. It's fun. It's fun. You're, you're like it's it. on your to-do list now, and we look forward to hearing about what you think about it on our social media at Real Cannon Pod. Um, let us know, uh, you know, Gwenpool, uh, good or bad. Folks, that brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, uh, be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss a single show. We have new episodes coming out on our new drop day every Tuesday. Yep. And if this episode was your first time checking us out and you want to talk more, like I said, we're constantly having further conversations about the show and the source material on our social. So please come find us at Real Cannon Pod. We're posting there all the time. Yep. So get ready, get hyped, and we'll be back next week with more of The Real Cannon.